you find yourself needing to learn more about D&D. What do you do? I cast Pod! Welcome to iCast Pod, a D&D podcast about creating characters, taking chances, rolling dice, and having fun. I'm Mike, your DM and guide to all things Dungeon-esque and Dragony. In this episode, we're talking about gnomes, nobles, flumps, monks, and Bahamut. Heard any good rumours lately? What with most of the world still in lockdown, News for D&D is a little bit thin on the ground at the moment. Uh, really, the only thing is that the Explorer's Guide to Wildemount launches in two days, as I record this. The only other real news is that D&D uh, Wizards of the Coast keep releasing free material on their Stay at Home, Play at Home page. Uh, link in the show notes. Uh, it's worth noting that some of the older giveaways have now expired. So if you didn't get them, um, you might have to hunt around for them or ask Wizards of the Coast really nicely if they'll give you a copy. Off to the races. Gnomes. Gnomes love life. They try to enjoy as much of it as possible, which, considering they live for three to five centuries, means they're here for a good time and a long time. Despite this lengthy lifespan, gnomes still worry that they won't get to see and do everything they want to do in the time that is given to them. Gnomes love to explore, create, invent, investigate and play well into their adult lives. Gnomes love to laugh, enjoying jokes and pranks. Their workshops erupt in peals of laughter as often as minor explosions and plumes of smoke. Gnomes speak as fast as they think, which is generally pretty fast. Standing at slightly over three feet tall and weighing 40 to 45 pounds with tan faces and fair hair that has a tendency to strike out on its own in several directions at once, bright eyes and a cheerful disposition. Males are often bearded and in contrast to their hair, their beards are well-kempt and often styled into forks or points. These diminutive peoples, called the Forgotten Folk by some, are some of the least populous and influential in the world. Not having a major presence on the world stage would infuriate some races, but not the gnomes. They revel in the anonymity that it affords them, and the protection that brings. Legend tells that gnomes first sprang forth on Faerun from mystic gems buried deep in the earth. This explains both their love of gems and their predilection for living in underground warrens. The forest gnomes came from emeralds, diamonds became the rock gnomes, and rubies became the deep gnomes, or Swerfneblin. Gnomes tend to live in secluded, hidden places, away from other races, but will gladly work and socialise with humans, elves and dwarves, although gnome interests often take second place to the concerns of the other races. Gnomes are often underestimated by the other races, but gnomes have learned to use this to their advantage, both defensively and offensively when required. Their homes are generally underground, but they come up into the sunlight more often than dwarves. Their dwellings are hidden by a combination of clever architecture and illusions. Welcome visitors are quickly ushered into their bright little burrows, whereas those who are not welcome will likely never find them. 
Gnomes have several names, having been given epithets by not only their parents, but aunts and uncles, and the clan elder may chip in a name too, amongst others. When dealing with other races, they usually choose no more than three names, a personal name, a clan name, and a nickname, choosing the most fun ones to say in each category. Forest gnomes make their homes in simple hillside dwellings deep in the woods. They could live only a few miles from a human or elf village, and the residents there would never know the gnomes existed, such is their desire for seclusion. If discovered and treated well, they make for fine neighbours, but still prefer to avoid contact with even friendly-seeming folk. Forest gnomes have an affinity with animals, often keeping squirrels, badgers, rabbits, moles, woodpeckers, and other animals as pets. They also have a knack for illusions that helps them stay hidden. If discovered, forest gnomes will either pack up and move their whole town deeper into the forest vanishing overnight, or else if threatened, will defend their homes with all the resources at their disposal. Forest gnomes rarely leave the comforts of home to go adventuring, but those that do use their gifts with magic and nature to become guides, scouts, mystics or druids. Rock gnomes are more commonplace than their forest-dwelling cousins, interacting regularly with other races. Rock gnomes are inquisitive, seeking out people to learn new things from. They prefer to live on the edges of other settlements in their own enclaves, but occasionally a rock gnome will live in a human or dwarf city. Gnome wanderers do also exist, travelling between communities to learn new things and trade both information and goods. Gnomes who leave to live amongst the other races often find themselves a trade as jewellers and gem cutters, skills they have inherited from their race. Others find work as tinkerers, alchemists or engineers. Gnomes find machinery of all types fascinating and love to figure out how they work, often by dismantling them. Gnome sages and tutors are found in human communities, their long lifespans giving them ample time to accumulate much useful knowledge to pass on. The deep gnomes, or Swerfneblin, reside in the Underdark, along with the Dwergar, dark dwarves, and Drow, dark elves. Deep gnomes are serious, careworn and dour, especially when compared to the sunny, cheerful and optimistic dispositions of their surface-dwelling cousins. One thing they do share is their love of privacy, and Swerfneblin homes are also hidden away, as well as well-guarded. Being in close proximity to the drow, whose society prizes hostility and conquering, they live under constant threat of being relocated, destroyed, or pressed into slavery for the drow. This in fact happened to Blingdenstone, which was one of the largest and grandest of the Deep Gnome's strongholds, having existed for over 2,000 years until it was overrun by drow from Menzoberranzan around a century ago. In contrast to their counterparts, Swerfneblin are lean with dark grey and earth skin tones, resembling rock. Males are bald and beardless, with females having hair on their heads. Swerfneblin adventurers are known, often living amongst the other denizens of the Underdark or occasionally making their way to the surface. Stat plot. Gnome size is small, around 3 to 4 feet. Their speed is 25 feet, they have dark vision to 60 feet, and they have gnome cunning, which gives them advantage on all intelligence, wisdom and charisma saving throws against magic. Languages are common and gnomish. 
Forest Gnomes get a plus one to Dexterity, and Natural Illusionist, which means they know the minor cantrip Illusion. Intelligence is the spellcasting ability for it. They can also speak with small beasts. They can communicate simple ideas with smaller beasts with a combination of sounds and gestures. Rock Gnomes get a plus one to Constitution, and Artificer's Law which means you can add twice your proficiency bonus when making intelligence history checks on magical or alchemical objects or technological devices. They also get the Tinker, which means they have proficiency with artisans' tools. They can use one hour and ten gold pieces worth of materials to create a small clockwork device with an AC of five and one hit point from the following list. A toy such as an animal, person or monster which can move five feet in a random direction and makes noises commensurate with its appearance. So, dragon noises for dragon toys, beholder noises for beholder toys, etc. Firestarter. This device produces a small flame which can light a candle, torch or campfire. Using it requires an action. Music box. This plays a single song when opened until it ends or until the device is closed. A rock gnome can have three of these devices active at any time, which will last for 24 hours, at which point they cease to function. You can choose to repair them, spending another hour to do so. You can also use an action to dismantle a device, reclaiming the materials. Deep gnomes get a plus one to dexterity and superior dark vision, up to 120 feet radius. They also have stone camouflage, which means they have advantage on dexterity stealth checks to hide when in rocky terrain. They have an extra language of undercommon, and they have Svurfneblin magic. They can cast non-detection at will without a material component. They can also cast blindness, deafness, blur and disguise self using intelligence as their spellcasting ability, and they regain the use of these spells after a long rest. You so classy. Monks. Monks utilize key energy, the magical energy that flows within living beings, to create magical effects and to push their physical boundaries to be faster and stronger than their bodies would otherwise allow. Monks can also utilize key to impede the flow in other creatures, leading to debuff effects. Trained in unarmed combat in temples around the world, Monks are seeking perfection or enlightenment via personal reflection and rigorous training. Many monks enter the monastery as children, perhaps orphaned by war or by parents who were too poor to feed them. Some monks live apart from the nearest towns or cities, bathing in the spiritual and tranquil surroundings of the monastery. Still others live entirely isolated lives like hermits, heeding only the call of their leader. Many do integrate into society, though, making regular trips into towns and cities for provisions, cloth and other necessities. Sometimes they will barter their skills. More often than not, monks will intervene if locals are attacked by bandits or monsters, adding their uncanny might to that of the guard or the militia. For a monk to leave the confines of the temple or monastery to become an adventurer is a much larger decision though, and a much different lifestyle to the communal living they may be used to. Monks may become adventurers for many reasons. It may be at the behest of their leader, who has a task for them. The Player's Handbook mentions monks becoming spies or assassins, which seems a little counterintuitive for a monk, 
especially when rogues exist, but whatever. Maybe there's a particular path that some monks can follow to gain these nefarious abilities, huh? (coughs) Foreshadowing. (coughs) Other reasons monks could leave to become adventurers. They see the wider world as the ultimate challenge for their skills and spiritual development. They wish to root out and destroy evil. They are just plain sick of the temple lifestyle and have turned their back on it in order to drink, fight and generally raise hell. They have been exiled for breaking their oaths of monkhoodom or for seeking out secret or forbidden knowledge. They fell in love with a local from the nearby town and left the monastery for them, only to have their affections spurned. Unable to turn to the monastery for help, they turned to adventuring as a way to survive and hone their skills. Or they just want to wear colours other than orange and red. In any case, for your monk's backstory, you'll need to think about their connection to the monastery. Is it still strong or have they broken all ties? Are they still working secretly for the monastery? Were they a resident since birth? Were they left in a basket on the doorstop with a note for the monks to take care of the baby? Or did they have a spiritual epiphany later in life and eschew their worldly possessions in order to follow a more serene path? Did you join to hide yourself away from people who wanted you dead? Did you join always intending to leave once you'd gleaned the secrets of key manipulation? Oh, the questions. How do you feel about striking out alone? Will you be able to relate to other adventurers from different backgrounds? The player's handbook lists monks as almost always lawful in alignment, but what if something happened to make you hate your monastery? Stat block. As a monk, your primary stats should be dexterity and wisdom. For a quick build, choose the Hermit background. Your hit points at level 1 equal 8 plus your constitution modifier. Your hit points generally are 1d8 or 5 plus your constitution modifier per level. Your hit dice is 1d8 per level. Armor? None. But I hope that key stuff works, eh? Don't worry though because you get something called unarmored defense. So when not wearing armor or holding a shield, your AC equals 10 plus your dexterity modifier plus your wisdom modifier. Weapons are simple weapons and short swords. Tools, one type of artisan's tools or a musical instrument. Your saving throws are strength and dexterity. Your skills choose two from acrobatics, athletics, history, insight, religion and stealth. Your equipment is a short sword or any simple weapon. You get a Dungeoneers or Explorers pack and 10 darts. Other monk mechanics include martial arts. When using simple weapons or short swords, provided they are not two-handed or classed as heavy and are not wearing armour or using a shield, you can use dexterity instead of strength for the attack and damage rolls of your unarmed and monk weapon strikes. You can roll a d4 instead of the normal damage of unarmed or monk weapon strikes. This die changes with levels. And you can make an additional unarmed strike as a bonus action. Key. Starting at level 2 you gain key points which scale with levels. To start you can use these points to uh, fuel the features Flurry of Blows, Patient Defense and Step of the Wind. You learn more key abilities as you level. Flurry of Blows, you spend one key point to make two unarmed strikes as a bonus action. Patient Defense, you use one key point to grant you the ability to dodge as a bonus action. 
Step of the Wind, one key point enables you to disengage or dash as a bonus action. You regain key points after a short or long rest, provided you use 30 minutes to meditate. If a key feature requires your target to make a saving throw, the DC is 8, plus your proficiency bonus, plus your wisdom modifier. Your base speed also increases by 10 feet from second level and scales with levels 2, with the usual proviso that you aren't wearing armour, holding a shield, are only using monk weapons, and haven't consumed any dairy within the last 72 hours. Alright, I might have made that last bit up. At third level, you choose between monastic traditions. The way of the open hand. Masters of martial arts, they use key to push or trip opponents, can heal themselves, and learn powerful meditations to protect from harm. Star Wars fans, for the force pusher uh, effect, and kung fu movie aficionados will enjoy this path. Way of the Shadow. Essentially ninjas. What, you thought all monks were peace-loving hippie types? Not these badasses. They learn to cast darkness, dark vision, pass without trace, or silence without the need for material components. They can also teleport between shadows and follow up with advantage on their first melee attack. If you've ever played Dishonored or Thief, this might be the path for you. The Way of the Four Elements You learn to harness the elements. Perhaps surprisingly enough, some monks stick to one, others integrate several or all of the elements. You can cast elemental spells such as Thunder Wave, Stone Skin, Cone of Cold, Burning Hands and more. A particular favourite of mine is Clench of the North Wind, which makes it sound like you're holding in a fart, but in reality you cast Hold Person. Combined with the fact that adepts of this path often tattoo themselves, fans of Avatar The Last Airbender will love this path, along with fans of Storm from the X-Men. Some other fun monk features include being able to deflect ranged weapon attacks, extra attacks, slow fall, and the ability to understand all spoken languages. Obviously, as always, there are loads more features for the monk generally, and in each path than I have the time, energy, or inclination to cover, so get reading if a monk is in your future character bank. Background check. The Noble Born of privilege, nobles see the world very differently to commoners. They understand wealth and power, having significant sway in the political spheres. Their family will own land and collect taxes. You will probably have some form of a title, as well as the responsibilities that come along with it. Were you born of aristocracy, a pampered and out-of-touch sort, aloof and entitled? or the child of a wealthy mercantile family, raised to the nobility by years of hard work. Or perhaps you were disinherited, your family turning their back on you for some slight, leading you to fend for yourself on the cruel city streets. You could even be a benevolent landowner who cares about the people who live and work on your land, perhaps fighting to defend both your territory and its people. If you have a title, what is it? Work with your DM to come up with not only a title, but some sense of what import it carries, and what ties, bonds and responsibilities it drapes over the shoulders of its carrier. How much influence does your family have over you? Do they expect you to carry on the dynasty, or are you not a direct heir, so were mostly left to your own devices? Does your family have a reputation? How are they regarded by the other nobles in the region? Does their reputation cover more than one region? 
perhaps even world-renowned. How do you feel about inheriting your title? Do you stand proudly, an example of noble, noble superiority? Or do you feel it as a millstone around your neck? How does the family feel about your adventuring career? Are you representing the nobility with a quick wit and a flashing rapier? Or perhaps you're trying to distance yourself from your past, proving to yourself that you don't need fawning over by sycophantic servants, preferring pitch battles to pampering. Do you wear your family's livery and coat of arms emblazoned on your chest, or perhaps discreetly on a signet ring? Do you have a manservant, or maybe you travel with a squire? Stat block. As a noble, your skills are history and persuasion. Tools are one type of gaming set. Languages is one of your choice. Equipment is a fine set of clothes, or a set of fine clothes, rather. A signet ring, a scroll of pedigree, and a purse containing 25 gold pieces. You have a feature called position of privilege. People are inclined to think the best of you. You are welcome in high society and wherever you are, people are inclined to believe you have the right to be there. Must be nice. Commoners make every effort to accommodate you and avoid offending you. Other nobles treat you as an equal and you can gain audience with any local nobles should you need to. There's a variant feature called retainers, which gives you three retainers in service to you and your family. These can be messengers or attendants, and one can be a major domo. These attendants can perform mundane tasks for you, but will not fight for you, nor follow you into dangerous areas such as dungeons. If they are frequently mistreated, endangered, or abused, they may leave. Noble Variant Knight Instead of the position of privilege feature, you get the retainers variant and one of your retainers is a noble squire who aids you in exchange for training and wisdom that will enable their own path to knighthood. Your other retainers may, might be a groom for the horses and a servant to care for your armour and help you into and out of it. You could also choose to fly a banner, either of your own or of another noble family you have pledged devotion to. Monster Menagerie The Flumpf Sounding like a knockoff marshmallow brand and looking like a cross between a Portuguese man-o'-war jellyfish and the flying spaghetti monster's niece, the Flumpf is a lawful good psionic colour-changing creature that lives in the Underdark. Despite its jellyfish out-of-water appearance, Flumpfs are intelligent and wise well-versed in subjects as diverse as philosophy, mathematics and religion. Flumps feed on psionic energy, so tend to live near strong sources of it, like Aboleth, Gith and Mindflayer settlements, so seeing ones should have you on your guard. Flumps drain the psionic energy of these dark-minded denizens of the Underdark, which exposes the normally pure Flumps to be exposed to cruel ideas and evil plans. This insider knowledge is happily divulged by Flumps to just about anyone who will listen, so be sure to speak to any you come across for possible intel on the local enemy population. Flumps change colour according to their mood, with a pink glow showing they are amused, blue being sadness, green means they are curious, and red signifying anger. Flumps society consists of groups called cloisters, wherein each Flumpf has a purpose negating the need for leaders. 
They move via an innate anti-gravity field that makes them float in a similar way to beholders and then use jets of air to move around, the soft sound of which give the species their name. It's unsure where they come from, even to the flumps themselves, but the prevailing theory, currently, is that they may be related in some way to grells and may have come to Toril from a different world. Although their tendrils are acidic, they have no fighting acumen, aside from an ability to shoot a foul-smelling, sticky liquid. Where a flump's real talents lie is with telepathy and psionics. They can perceive the thoughts of other creatures communicating telepathically within 60 feet of it, and can't be surprised by creatures with any form of telepathy. The flump is also immune to any effect that would reveal its emotions or thoughts, including divination spells. Unfortunately, the creators of the flump also gave it terrible balance. If a flump is knocked prone, it has a 50-50 chance, odds versus evens on any die, that it will land upside down and be incapacitated, rendering what was already combat's equivalent of a wet plastic bag into something completely and utterly useless. The flump then has to make a DC-10 dexterity saving throw at the end of each turn or remain incapacitated. They're even vulnerable to psychic damage, which you'd think with telepathy they'd at least be decent at fending off, especially considering their bodies don't look exactly sturdy. Seriously, you'd be better off bringing a marshmallow on a stick to a fight than one of these guys. At least you could eat the marshmallow and possibly do some damage with the stick. Stat block. Flumps are classed as a small aberration and have a challenge rating of 1 8th, awarding 25 XP. They have an AC of 12 and 7 hit points. They have a speed of 5 feet but flying speed of 30 feet. They have dark vision to 60 feet and a passive perception of 12. Languages they understand undercommon but only speak tele- telepathically. Attacks, tendrils, melee, 5 foot range, plus 4 to hit, 1 creature. A hit equals 1d4 plus 2 or 4 piercing damage and 1d4 or 2 acid damage. At the end of each turn, the target has to make a DC 10 constitution saving throw. Failing means 1d4 or 2 acid damage and a successful throw or lesser restoration spell ends the recurring damage. Stench Spray Each creature in a 15-foot cone from the flump must succeed on a DC-10 dexterity saving throw or else be covered in a foul-smelling liquid. I'm imagining that it's kind of oozy as well, like a ghost's sneeze. The smell will last 1d4 hours and for that time, the creature and any others within 5 feet of it are poisoned. The smell can be removed by bathing in water, alcohol or vinegar. Law Academy. The Infamous. I've made the decision to merge the sections of Law Academy and The Infamous together, partly because I find myself without enough time to write both, but also because I think the two can be combined anyway. Continuing on from both the bonus episode on dragons and our last full episode that featured the vibrant, chromatic, evil dragon about town, Tiamat, we now turn to her opposite, the platinum dragon god, Bahamut. Bahamut is the deity of good metallic dragons and the only known platinum dragon in existence. 
His normal form is of a massive dragon of 180 feet long. He has a 90 foot long body and a tail the same length. His platinum scales are said to be stronger than any shield. His body and eyes are said to glow with a faint blue sheen. He is a force for good and justice in the world, and a subservient deity to Torm, god of law. Bahamut represents enlightened justice, which is justice tempered by mercy and forgiveness, rather than the swift and cruel mob justice. Bahamut represents a more compassionate and measured approach, although still stern and disapproving of evil in any form. It is said that Bahamut accepted no excuses for evil acts, and would not tolerate an even minor infractions by evil creatures. However, due to his compassionate nature, he generally preferred to polymorph creatures who incurred his wrath, rather than killing them. In contrast, Bahamut had limitless time and empathy for the downtrodden, the poor, and the helpless. He used his great wealth to help those in need. Thieves who tried to steal from his hoard found themselves viciously pursued. Probably not a great idea to steal from the dragon god of justice, really. Bahamut values knowledge, wisdom, songs and prophecies, as well as the company of other good dragons, delighting in their differences and unique personalities. His own court consists of seven gold dragons. Occasionally, Bahamut liked to battle his own followers as a way of proving their worthiness, but always had healers on hand in case he injured them during the fray. Bahamut liked to walk the material plane in the guise of an old man, spending up to half of his time like this. He wandered seemingly aimlessly, dispensing advice and offering assistance to other travellers. He assessed the worthiness of those he met through his tenets of justice, nobility and honour. Usually in this form, Bahamut was accompanied by his court of seven gold great worms, polymorphed into canaries, who guarded him on his travels. The rest of his time was spent in his palace, a place of pilgrimage for paladins and clerics. This palace was a wondrous, glittering fortress with windows made from gems set in silver and gold into walls of inlaid copper and ivory, and floors made from beaten mithril. The palace travels in a whirlwind between the first four layers of Mount Celestia. Although Bahamut preferred not to interfere in the lives and plans of mortals, apart from offering help and advice as a wanderer, he was always vigilant of the machinations of his evil opposite Tiamat, and would act if it meant stopping her schemes. He would confront her whenever necessary, undoing the damage she had wrought, and halting the spread of her vile influence. Although he preferred discourse and diplomacy to combat and war, Bahamut is not without his own fearsome defences. He has all the powers and senses of a deity of his rank, combined with the abilities of an ancient dragon. According to eyewitness accounts, he has two breath weapons, one a powerful version of Cone of Cold, and the other a vapour that turns his enemies to gas. Even his roar was so powerful that it could disintegrate creatures within a hundred feet or permanently deafen more sturdy foes. He also has at his disposal the knowledge of all arcane and divine spells. He can see invisible creatures, and like Tiamat, he can breathe underwater indefinitely and can use his breath weapons or cast spells whilst submerged. And that's it for today's episode. Thanks very much for listening. If you'd like to get in touch, I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
Tell me what's working, what's not working. Tell me if you're upset that I've merged the Infamous and Lore Academy. Tell me if you love the new format. Just tell me anything. I'm, I'm interested to hear from you. You can email me at icastpod at gmail.com. You can join the Discord server to chat to me, see the show notes for the link, or you can find me on Twitter or Instagram as at icastpod. I create all the content you see and hear on the show and social media, except for some of the sound effects, which come from Sirenscape, because great games require great sounds. Check the show notes for the link. If you'd like to help support the show, there are ways to do that. Firstly, subscribe to the show. Secondly, leave us a review on iTunes if you're a user. Reviews there really help the show get heard by new fans. Until next time, my friends, may Time Mora bless your endeavours.